and welcome to Under Common Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. The more you celebrate and praise in your life, the more you find there is to celebrate and praise. I'm Ian Woodworth, I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today, in the middle of holiday season, <laughs> yes. or I guess technically we're still at the beginning of holiday season Holiday season for me starts about mid-October, if not early October, because Halloween is not just a day. It's spoopy season. It is spoopy season, that is right. But yeah, so I would say that holiday season, if you wanted to bookend it, would run from Halloween to New Year's-ish. Yeah, I would almost, I mean, personally, I would just say it is the fall season, because, I mean, you have the equinox, and then... Yeah, about that time, there's football season, which I always loved. It's the start of school, which always got me excited. You know, you've got things kind of wrapping up. You have harvest festivals, and then you have spoopy season, and then you've got Halloween. You've got Sawin, if that is your flavor. You go right into Thanksgiving, and then obviously into Yule, Christmas, Solstice, and then we end up with New Year's before we start the Long Gray. Yep. So yeah, in case you haven't caught on yet, we're talking about holidays and festivals. Yes. Just to keep in the theme of the season. Yeah. And so we're going to talk a little bit about different types of festivals, different types of celebrations, holidays, how to build your own within the framework of your world. To have your world building do some heavier lifting. Yeah. Give your players something to do. Yeah. Especially in those moments in between your story arcs, it's really good to have a point of celebration. You can have your players kind of come in and we call that that downtime. And it gets overlooked in a lot of games. And so it's what are your players doing when they're not being murder hobos? You know, when they're, they've finished the quest, they've come in. And I mean, it's not quest after quest after quest. You do need some time to kind of relax. I mean, even as a contractor, you don't have a contract every day generally. There's generally a week or two or sometimes longer that you got to heal up from that broken arm. And, you know, when you went down to zero hit points those four different times and <laughs> you don't just always on the road. Right. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right. Um, I spent a little bit of time thinking about the aspects of holidays in general. And in my brain, I was able to sort of break it down into four major category groups. Okay. Your first group would be your astrological slash astronomical stuff. Yeah, these are your like fire festival days. Yeah, these are holidays which celebrate certain specific events. Yes. So things like planetary convergences, planar alignments, equinoxes and solstices to go for examples from our world. Yeah. So things like Christmas. Christmas is based off of Yule, which is a winter solstice yeah. holiday. Halloween, Samhain, Easter, Ostara. Yes. Midsummer. Solstice, uh, once again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other solstice. The other solstice. Uh, Valpurgisnacht, if you want to get one that has a little bit more sinister cultural motifs. You just want to do motifs. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, I am good at my German pronunciation. I will you do are them. very good, yes. Um, so these are some of the oldest of the holiday types. Yeah, and again, these are generally going to have a religious connotation, though they do not always. And depending on your world building and how you set up, this could be something that happens, you know, multiple times a year, like we would with our solstice or equinoxes. That could happen maybe once every five years, every 10 years. I know the Romans had uh, the secularum, which wasn't necessarily tied to a celestial event, but it was supposed to happen once every 120 years. So it literally happened once in a lifetime. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. A comet coming through, something like Halley's Comet that comes through every 80 or so years would be another 
it's known. We have it timed out. We know when it's going to arrive. So you could set up some sort of festival as it could be an omen or a bringer of good luck or something along those lines within this world is that there's a comet that comes by every so often. Right. And, you know, this also would be something if you wanted something that was a little more frequent, you know, have a festival on the full moon or have a festival on the new moon or like in my homebrew world, the world has two moons and there is a festival of lights every year. The one night whenever the two moons are absent from the sky and then there's a separate one that's a big celebration whenever both are present in the sky. And so that is another thing that you can play with. Yeah, absolutely. That also, you know, gives you some world building meat to work with because, you know, mine works because I have two moons. Right. No. So because I have two moons, that gives me a unique thing to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can totally build pantheons and belief systems around that. Maybe it is a good time for light night working. You could have cults built around, you know, when the world is completely dark, when both moons are out or when both moons are fully or full moon or fully late. Um, You can really work. And so if you want to go like deep into your world building and start working on your religions and your pantheons. So if you want to go back to like where we had with tabletop journeys, this is a really good thing to start tying your factions into as well. If you want to build factions for your world yeah and i'm glad that you brought up that a lot of these have a religious tie-in too because you know that does give you fuel to build out a pantheon whether you are using the published pantheon the quote-unquote canon pantheon for the DD settings as i whole or you're building your own so like if you have something that is a, a festival based around phases of the moon that's going to be your moon deity. Right. If it's based on the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, that's going to be your sun god. Yeah. And now, so small aside here, <laughs> because in many cultures, when you're talking about celestial bodies, the sun is almost always depicted as a masculine entity and the moon is almost always depicted as a feminine entity. And there's this little quirk, this little weirdness that I keep forgetting to look into, but it always just nags at me. Because in German, all of your nouns are gendered. Yeah. It's just the way that the language is built. Most languages, at least most European languages, yes. Yeah. But for whatever reason, in German, the sun, die Sonne, is feminine. Interesting. And the moon, der Mond, is masculine. Huh. I don't know if that has base, you know, religious implications if it's drawing from a religious practice i don't know if it's just because that's how the words were structured and so they decided that oh sun has a terminal vowel so we're going to make it feminine and moon ends with an nd and so that's a hard consonant ending so we're going to make it masculine i don't know i don't know if it is purely grammatical i don't know if it has cultural implications i need to look that up if you know Send us an email and let me know. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a really fun (laughs) etymological research point. Yeah, because, like I said, it's opposite what you normally find in most cultures. Yeah. All right, tangent aside. Okay. But, yeah, so, again, these celestial events are great for setting up celebrations. It could be something as small as you could light a candle on a shrine and that's it. Or, again, if it's something that doesn't happen as frequently, they could be huge celebrations. And, again, this is something that... 
could happen while your party is in between adventures or maybe as your party is walking into a new town or city and they're completely foreign to it. And so they're walking in into the midst of either preparation or the celebration going on in full swing. Right. Yeah, that is a great point. You know, you don't have to have any lead up to this. You don't have to clue in your players to this. You can just decide, okay, my players have just spent three weeks trudging through the woods. Yeah. And they finally get to town. Why not have just a massive festival just happening? Yeah, you're sitting there. You spent three weeks in the woods. You're tired. You're you're dragging. And you step right in the middle of Oktoberfest, you know, and there, there's accordions <laughs> right. going and people drinking beer. And, like, you don't know who this person is. They walk up and ha- hand you a mug and sit there. And, you know, yeah. there, there's accordions and yeah. streamers. and Yeah, they hand you a stein of beer and a bratwurst. Yes. This is the best world ever. I love it. I, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm never leaving I'm this town. <laughs> um, that segues nicely into my second major classification of holidays, which are similar, which are seasonal holidays. Yes. These are holidays which celebrate phases or cycles which happen typically annually. Yeah. So the big ones are planting and harvest festivals. Especially with agrarian communities. Yeah. So you would have this big push where the entire community would get together to get all the planting done. And as soon as all of the planting is done in the spring after the last frost, then everybody would get together and have a great big old party. Yeah, of course. Because you know, because we're done. Yeah, exactly. We, we have finished all of the hard work that we had to do. We spent three weeks getting it all done. And now it's all done so we can take a couple of days and just relax and you know, we're not going to starve in the winter. That's yeah. Always, that's always a good thing to be happy about. And then, you know, the harvest is a similar thing. You spend this huge amount of time. Everybody gets together and gets all of the food harvested and brought in. And then at the end of all of that, all hard work is done. Let's celebrate. Exactly. And this, because there's always going to be some elements of your harvest that aren't going to last through the winter. You're going to have things like damaged produce You just don't have enough room to store everything. You don't have enough mason jars to can everything. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's there's a mason jar shortage because everybody and their brother is home in quarantine and has to, you know, do something to occupy their time. So they decide to take up bread baking and canning. I don't know why I'm so angry about this. Um, (laughs) Maybe because I wasn't able to find flats for my mason jars for like a year and a half. But anyway, you know, this gives you a reason to have this huge food festival. You know, this festival is almost always circled around some sort of edible. Yeah. You know, some sort of food, some sort of drink. There's a town here near us, Irwin. Every year they have a great big apple festival. Yeah. Every town in Germany, they have a beer festival or a wine festival almost every year. Yeah. Again, Central California, you did have things where like, you did have wine festivals. You had raisin festivals for the end of the summer after the, the grapes were picked. I know other areas like, again, I mean, you have peach festivals like in Georgia and other places, things like that. So yeah, these are, again, Central California. Gilroy had a garlic festival and the garlic harvest came in every year. Yeah. And you could smell that for like miles away. It was great. <laughs> my wife and I, we went and visited my family in Germany for our honeymoon which was mid to end of May, and that's the middle of strawberry and asparagus season. Ooh. And so Spargelfest, asparagus fest, is a big thing. I would totally sign up for that. I love asparagus. Oh, <laughs> and because a lot of what they do is the white asparagus. Okay. It is a similar but very different animal. Okay. And the primary way you do it is Spargelcreme soup. So 
asparagus cream soup. Okay. So where you take your asparagus, you peel it, you chunk it, and you make a soup, soup. with it, and it is amazing. And then, you know, add on top of that, everyone has all of these bushels and bushels of strawberries coming oh. in. And so just that combination, it was amazing. We just happened to show up in the two-week window nice. of that, and it was just perfect. But yeah, that's another example. Yeah. A more American example, kind of, the spirit of the intent of this holiday <laughs> is this, uh, Thanksgiving. Yes. Thanksgiving is patterned after a harvest celebration holiday right with obvious puritan trappings uh, as will happen and you know erasure of white genocide but you know what we're, we're gonna ignore that part yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna ignore the fact that you know all of the natives helped keep the plymouth colonists from starving and as a thank you they killed them all yeah well. we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on that but the festival itself is a food and family festival. It is a post-harvest festival where gluttony is perfectly acceptable. Yes, it is acceptable. If we were going off of the Puritan trappings of it, it would not be encouraged. Well, again, we don't like the Puritans. So we don't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, again, it is this right between Halloween and the end of that. Uh, that is by that point, the harvest should be in. It's getting cold. You're going to have to spend more time indoors. It is a good time to kind of gather family count heads and, you know, reflect on the past year. Especially since, you know, given when this is supposed to be commemorating right. this very early colonial period, the early to mid 1600s, you had a lot of people who weren't going to survive the winter. No. The winter was going to kill a whole bunch of your friends and family. Yep. So may as well have one. So, so you have one last hurrah where everybody's together where everybody can celebrate together, really come to appreciate the people around them in their lives because they may not get that chance again. Right. So that is an aspect to it. Now, the holiday itself is much newer <laughs> than yeah. that. It's supposed to be commemorating that first meal that the Plymouth colonists had with the natives, but it is, what is it, like a... 1920s i think it was was the first one or I was it i think it was established by abraham lincoln it that, may have been yeah 1864 65 i believe well it would have been 64 because he was dead by 65. thanksgiving 65 yeah. okay that's right because they were he was trying to do something to encourage camaraderie within the people who are you know stuck at home yeah during the war yeah yeah, there's lots of stuff. Okay. Yeah, again, American holidays get squicky and sticky kind of quick. Anyway, said note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving along. Yes. The third major classification that I came up with were commemorative holidays. Okay. So holidays that celebrate or remember historic events. Yes. The biggest ones are Independence Days. Yeah. Especially in the post-British Empire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah, the Brits, that's their major contribution to the world holidays. is, is uh, Independence Days. Um, so like the 4th of July, Cinco de Mayo, Bastille Day, these are all sort of Independence Day. Well, Cinco de Mayo is a bit different, but... I thought Cinco de Mayo was the Mexican independence from no, the Spanish. That's in September. Cinco de Mayo is actually, uh, so Napoleon's armies came up into Mexico at one point and they fought off Napoleon's army and beat them basically with sticks and rocks and then okay. uh, drove the army off until the 6th of May, which we won't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but that brings us into the second subcategory of commemorative, which is battles. Yes. Uh, 
So I just had it misclassified. Yeah. Yeah. So things like D-Day or Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah. Things like major military milestones. Right. And these lead in for a good thing for your party because, again, if your party has gone in and slayed the lich or they've gone and overthrown the evil emperor, maybe as they get back, they are the reasons for this first celebration. Absolutely. Um, which is, um, I'm going to see what, what Ian's fourth uh, celebration is going to be. I think this ties in, but this ties into an old uh, game favorite of mine, which I will tie back into this regular kind of celebration, but we'll get back to it. Right. But, you know, this would be a great place if you happen to have a player at your table that has a backstory or background in the soldier oh, yes, absolutely. category, because then they come into town, they might be you know, wearing whatever military surplus they had from whenever they were in service. They may have tattoos or obvious, you know, war wounds or things like that that make it obvious that they're a soldier. If they show up on basically Veterans Day, yeah, their reception in town is going to be drastically different than on any other day of right. the year. And inversely, I mean, you could kind of play this two ways, too. If they're in a familiar area, then, yeah, they're going to be celebrated. But if they're still wearing these trappings or maybe old uniform and they go into someone where they're celebrating something adversarial, it would be like a guy coming up in a in a British redcoat costume and American Fourth of July would be like, the hell? <laughs> but, yeah, it would be exactly that. And, you know, and so they could also instantly be reviled as well and yeah. unknowingly why. Right. Especially in an instance where, you know... You're walking into a town and the town is celebrating their liberation from, yes. from your faction. Yes. Yeah, that can lead to some interesting sticky wicket sort of <laughs> scenarios. But the third commemorative subcategory would be tragedies. Yeah. Things like Patriot's Day, which is for 9-11. Different, uh, like, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yeah. I mean, really going back to battles. So you talked about Pearl Harbor Day. I mean, that, yeah, that is a, that one would straddle that line between right. the two. And that's an important thing to remember, too, is that a lot of these are going to fall partly into multiple categories yeah. because celebrations are not monoliths. They morph to whatever the population needs them to be yeah. at any given time. Now, the final category that I have are collective holidays okay you know holidays that celebrate certain groups so i mentioned something like veterans day yeah you are celebrating individuals who have the shared identity of having been soldiers okay memorial day you're commemorating soldiers who have died in service okay labor day you're commemorating the individuals from the labor movement that gave you all of the wonderful things that, you know, late stage capitalism is trying to take away again, like right. the 40 hour work week and, you know, time off and paid holidays and collective bargaining rights, collective bargaining <laughs> rights and, you know, workplace safety. And I would add a fifth category to this then, especially as we are, you know, if we step back from our modern lives and kind of go more to a medieval or more primitive earlier mindset, Sometimes there were just traveling groups that showed up and people just arriving was the point of a celebration. So I'm thinking something like a traveling carnival or things like that. So again, the town I grew up in, I grew up in Fresno. There was a nearby town named Clovis 
and they had the rodeo festival and the rodeo wasn't the same time it was the same time-ish every year within a month but it wasn't at the same time but they just had big hat days where people walked around and was silly and there was a bunch of vendors with boots and it was like hey dress up wear as big of a hat as you can we're just gonna have fun and food and do whatever but it wasn't tied to anything it was just whenever the circuit came through for that time of the year right and that would actually fall into my second subgroup of these cultural, which would be artisans and occupations. Yes. So things like Coachella or Burning Man. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, music festivals, festivals. art festivals. Perfect. Uh, things of that nature. The Bard so, shows up. Everyone's going to be coming out because we don't have radio yet, folks. <laughs> well, a Bard coming out is not grounds for a festival. No. A Bard coming out would be the equivalent of having an impromptu concert. Yeah. I mean, people are going to turn out to see the Bard. Yeah. But it's not going to devolve into a full multiple troops celebration up in the same area. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you just happen to have three well-known bards just happen to show up in town at the same time, and they decide to have a battle of the bands. Yeah, maybe there's a bardic competition. And they all just crossed into this town at the same time. Yeah, you know, there's a big bardic competition going on. This big music festival going on in the capital. And you show up on one of the, basically the suburbs, like a couple of days beforehand, and it just devolves into basically a pregame of the oh. music festival. Okay, I have a story hook. Okay, are you ready? Okay. So we're starting off, we're all level zero, level ones, and you have these bards kind of all come in. You've got three or four troops that show up at once, and they're all going to the same bardic festival. They all know of each other. There might be, you know, different levels of intimacy between the bards and their groups. And so they are hiring basically kids and ruffians and people just passersby on the streets to maybe go and try to sabotage or hinder the other groups. And whenever they meet in these towns, they do have these big kind of battle of the band type things to kind of practice, kind of show each a bit of one-upsmanship amongst themselves. But they are using the party initially as like kind of going through maybe cutting some strings or loosening a, a stool chair or whatever to kind of throw the other bards off to get them off their game literally. Beyond that, if they do well, maybe you travel as like roadies or groupies with this bard kind of just doing whatever under the table things they need to do to keep their stuff going and you're getting paid underneath while your party earns experience. Yeah, and that would be a great thing to play in a system like kids on bikes or kids on brooms. Yeah. That would be a great way to sort of incorporate a different system yeah. into this. Not even necessarily making it a D&D game, but borrowing from a system that would be more designed towards what you are trying to accomplish. Right. Because well, I think that something like Kids on Brooms would work really well for that. Yeah. And even with this, even if you were keeping this, you know, D&D &D or Pathfinder, this is better than, hey, you all meet at a bar. It does give everyone an impetus to kind of step out of their city without necessarily having to go and murder hobo. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that we're going to be building ourselves some holidays. Okay, great. Where would you start whenever you are trying to decide what holiday am I making? What kind of holiday am I making? What is it going to be themed around? Okay. So this kind of ties in what I was going to talk to. One of the things that like immediately juts out into my mind, there's two things and I kind of want to blend them both. World of Warcraft Blizzard, they have the Dark Moon Fair which is this kind of traveling carnival that pops up, you know, every so often, depending on when it was. Sometimes it was only every few weeks. Sometimes it was there for a long stretch, just depending on what expansion. But this kind of traveling fair, I really like the carnival idea. Also ties into a game I enjoyed very much for the Super Nintendo, but Chrono Trigger. 
where you had this yearly celebration that was a big carnival and you actually have to travel through planes and times at the same area and it kind of leads up to why their celebration was here and stuff like that. But I think if you could somehow start blending those two where there was a yearly carnival or a thing that would be maybe extra planar, maybe the face starts showing up or there's a gateway that opens at certain times. So this becomes a carnival setting. So now you have your celebration with Again, possibility for Planescape stuff or time travel stuff or however you want to do that. Yeah. And for all of the extraness that is Critical Role, that is one of the things that Matt Mercer does really, really well in Critical Role is incorporating these holidays. Yes. Because what is the one that they did in Campaign 1, the the winter one? I missed most of Campaign uh. 1. I need to go back and rewatch I caught most of, of campaign two and I started campaign three and life oh. happened. And yeah, <laughs> but in campaign one, they have a winter festival. That's essentially Christmas. Okay. But it's one of those instances where the veil between the planes sort of thins. Okay. And it's a bunch of hijinks surrounding all of that. And then at the beginning of campaign two, you know, they show up in the regional capital in time for the Harvest Festival. Yeah. They have this whole big thing where they have all of the games and the stalls and everything yeah. going on for the Harvest Festival. And they spend, you know, the bulk of an episode just celebrating at the festival. Yeah. And actually, I think it ended up going more than an episode because the arena where they went in and fought the monsters and stuff. Yeah. That was part of that whole holiday festival. Yeah. I can't remember the holiday. I can't remember the town either. It's been it's been a while. Yeah. It, yeah. But no, this is good. And again, this is one of those things where you can build up. And if you want to go back, I forget which episode number it is. We talked about, you know, games and things you can play in your downtime. And you can kind of feed these things into your party as well. I think another thing we could kind of do with the party, especially if the party knows they're going into a festival, there's a lot of hijinks that could happen. Your party has a relatively limited budget and maybe things are more expensive than should be, or maybe there's an, a, you know, an outside cost that they weren't expecting. And so now for whatever reason, they become indebted to a merchant or a party member or vice versa. Maybe a merchant or party member comes to the party and takes out a loan. And so now the party is owed some favors of some sort. You can do a lot of these things like what are you going to do over celebrating happens all the time in real life it does and there are consequences for it and you can <laughs> definitely are. feed this to your party <laughs> yeah and another thing you know you show up to town there are no rooms for them to rent yeah all of the taverns all of the inns they're all booked up yeah because everybody sent people ahead and made reservations three weeks ago right for this festival that you didn't realize was happening and then this would be an instance where you can start pulling into backstories, pulling into backgrounds. If you have a cleric in your party, maybe the party is able to find crash space at the temple. Yeah. You know, if one of the party members is from here, hey, we can go stay at my mom's house. Right. So, <laughs> and again, this ties into a real world thing that's going to happen here in North America this upcoming year, actually in about another five or six months that I'm really excited about. But there's going to be a total solar eclipse coming through. And I know a lot of the places where there's going to be totality are already booked up with hotels. And so, you know, if you want a hotel, you kind of have to start scrimping now or you plan to go and find some crash space and kind of come out. But again, you could have something like this. And if during that moment when the streets are packed and it's crowded because everyone's ready to celebrate, 
And then your BBEG shows up and lights everything on fire or freezes everything or does something. And now you have panic flowing through the streets. How is your party going to react? Are they going to kind of further panic? Are they going to escape themselves? Are they going to try to instill calm and order? What's going to happen? Yeah. And going back to the critical role example, spoilers for campaign one, if you <laughs> if you haven't picked up on that yet. Whenever Vox Machina finishes off the Briarwoods and returns to Amon... And they're having the big celebration that the vampire has been vanquished and the Dorolos are back in power in Whitestone. And they're having this whole big celebration for Vox Machina because they're the big heroes. And then the Chroma Conclave shows up. Oops. You know, these ancient chromatic dragons just show up and wreck the entire town in the middle of the celebration yeah. as a demonstration of how powerful they are. Yeah. And how much the party has to progress in order to be able to combat the threat yeah you know that is the thing to do but i would also recommend do that sparingly do that sparingly but it does remind me of another literary example i'm going back to beowulf yes uh, you had the parties in the feasting hall and the sounds bothered grindel so grindel came to smash stuff up because dude couldn't sleep I mean, you got your neighbor sitting there partying, sitting there shouting, playing music. You, dude, you just want to rest. So, yeah, he goes to smash up the party. And so, again, this could be kind of this thing that, hey, whenever we have the celebration, something comes and smashes it up. Your party shows up. Hey, we're going to have the celebration. Dude over here is probably going to show up. Could you help us out? Yeah, and, you know, that would definitely be a thing where if the party doesn't decide to do insight checks. Oh, yeah. It could literally just be the mayor of the town wanting you to murk this guy. <laughs> yeah, totally. When he is clearly in the wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're talking about noisy neighbors. When I was in college, the people in the dorm apartment next to ours, my first semester up there at UVA, they had rock band and oh. I can't listen to Danny California by the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> because they would play that song over and over and over. Uh, I mean, I'm talking like 30 times in a row. Oh, wow. And they did that for like five or six weeks. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, it was not great. It was not great. Anyway, so we're talking about how we're going to utilize. I think for me, figuring out a way to tie the celebration to someone in the party. Okay. You know, give your players or your player characters a reason to be invested in whatever holiday is about to pop up. Okay. No, I like this. Um, it could be something, you know, going off of recent events. Yeah. Uh, recent holidays from where we're recording this. Halloween, mm -hmm. you know, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, the Day of the Dead, all of that together. That would be the perfect opportunity to have a Dia de los Muertos yes. sort of celebration if you have, say... A grave cleric. I was thinking a grave cleric or a warlock. Both of these would tie in really, yeah. really well. Um, you know, someone, a wizard of the school of necromancy. Yeah, absolutely. All of these, anyone involved with the dead. Yeah. That would be a great way to sort of hook them in. Yeah. But particularly a grave cleric, because then you can draw in your death gods yes. into this celebration and as a cleric of a death god with the grave domain mm -hmm. you know that would be a way to have them have something that 
they're obligated to do yeah. during this holiday. They have religious rituals that they are, yeah. That they're, they're expected to perform. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, they show up in town and the temple informs them that they're short-staffed. And so they basically conscript them oh. into helping with the ceremonies. Okay. Or if this is a higher level cleric, they might have seniority over the entire priesthood of this temple. And because they are the most senior oh, cleric, nice. it is their obligation Legation. to preside over this ceremony. Like if a cardinal showed up or something. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I think another good tie-in with this too, again, along the same types of holidays, but especially if you have a druid, possibly a ranger, but, you know, the first budding of leaves in a grove or the first falling of leaves as, as winter and fall start coming and there has to be rituals that have to be observed yes. to maintain the grove. Yeah, uh, we're going to be doing an episode on this in a few weeks, um, the pagan rituals uh, and stories surrounding the Holly King and the Oak King. Yes. The reason why we're not talking about that in depth yet is because I haven't finished my research on it, and so I can't talk <laughs> about it. I can't talk about it with any sort of exper expertise and authority. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. So we're not going to be covering that yeah. today, but that is something that is involved with that seasonal cycle. But yes, the first budding of the leaves, the first flowers, that is the awakening in the spring. Yeah. And so that is something that would absolutely, anyone who is nature oriented yeah. would be involved with so yeah druids rangers say an oath of the ancients paladin that has a nature based oath okay or say a nature domain cleric yeah. again a warlock with an archfey patron in one of my past home games one of the players was playing an archfey pacted warlock their patron was Ementensin, who is the treant. Okay. So they were a very druidy warlock. Those are all different things that you can play into, tying into campaign three of Critical Role. I know I keep going back to Critical <laughs> Role, but it is... They do celebrations well. They do celebrations well, and they do very good performance yes. D&D. But going into campaign three, Orem. Okay. He's just a halfling fighter. But he's from the Ashari. He's from this druidic culture. And so he has that element in his character. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to have this be a class identity. You can have this be a backstory identity sort of thing. Yeah. And really pull that out. I think, too, again, we've talked about reasons why your characters would celebrate within the celebration. But you could have the opposite, too. You could have something along, especially with the backgrounds, with something like a noble or a guild, or maybe the urchin. And so maybe there is something like a Labor Day. And so you've got people celebrating, but if perhaps your character's from this noble family and they feel like their family was robbed somehow and people are celebrating the freedom where their family's not as much in power, but they have more freedom, but they think that something nefarious happened to cause that. And so their family was cheated. Or if you have, like, I'm thinking in the Wheel of Time where you had the Firework Guild. And so you had a couple people going and doing things. If you have an artificer coming in, an artificer's doing artificer stuff and kind of getting in with the celebration. But now he's stepped on the toes of this guild that, hey, we have a contract that we're the only ones that can do light displays. We're the only ones that can do this type of magic during these times. And now you've stepped on people's toes in the middle of the celebration without knowing. Where's your permit? Exactly. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <Kate> Bettis. <laughs> and you brought this up a little bit earlier, and we talked about it a little bit whenever we were talking about commemorative and collective holidays. If you show up 
and you are a veteran of an army for a nation that this town is celebrating their independence from. from. So you are an accidentally antagonistic. Yes, you're an accidental antagonist for this holiday. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> or maybe, you know, your character just happens to have some sort of hang up about this particular holiday. Yeah. I was mentioning the very contrived and overly dramatic premise behind the female love interest in Gremlins in our last episode. <laughs> so to go into that a little bit more, she doesn't like Christmas. Okay. You get almost to the end of the movie before she explains why. And it's because her dad, in his infinite wisdom, decided that he was going to dress like Santa Claus and climb down the chimney to deliver the presents that year. Aww. And he ended up slipping in the chimney and getting stuck and breaking his neck. Oh. And they found him when he started to stink. Oh. oh that reminds no, me of that. Because he just, yeah. he disappeared on Christmas Eve and he never came home. And now I know where the, the idea for the song came. There's something stuck up in the chimney and I don't know what it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, but again, going back with the whole uh, Grindel theme too, but Christmas, and we have the Grinch that stole Christmas, you know? Yeah. And again, it was the noise that bothered him. And so he didn't like this holiday because it was going to disturb. You could totally have the wizard in the tower and, you know, the lights and the smoke disturbs his observations and studies. And so he's just going to drop a meteor swarm on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he would drop a meteor swarm. Uh -huh. I think that it would be far better for him to... Drop an upcast sleep. Oh, okay. And get all Sleeping Beauty up in this. Oh, that just, would be Just put the town to sleep. You're like, you know, there's supposed to be this big old fancy celebration. The party rolls into town yes. and everyone's just passed out Ow. in the streets. And you're like trying to like WTF. And so you're checking the food and the water to see if it's been poisoned or magically and, altered. And, and no, it's just that they were annoying the wizard up on the hill and he decided to drop sleep on That them. is a great story arc. That is beautiful. <laughs> and there's like one elf in town and he's just freaking out because everyone just collapsed around yeah. him and he has no idea why. Oh, I love that. No, that is a great... that. That's a story right there. <laughs> that would be a really solid one shot for like a mid-level party. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a mid-level party. Yeah. You can have this be one where you are focusing on non-combat encounters. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, where they have to do the investigation. They have to figure out why it's happened. Yeah. And then they have to go and negotiate with this wizard. Yeah. To figure out how to reverse it and how to keep it from happening again in the future. Yes. You're brokering a peace treaty, basically, yes. between the wizard and the town. Because diplomacy does not always have to fail. Correct. No, but I like that too. My issue is a lot of one-shots tend to be geared towards the lower levels. So again, if you wanted to run a mid-level one-shot, like again, with a lot of your non-combative play, this would be a good... But yeah, no, that is a great idea for a story setup. That's on it. Well done. Yeah, you know, that would be... An interesting thing to try and incorporate. Yeah. I, I think Verdigree might get sleepy at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We need to do some stuff outside of Verdigree. We can't have everything happen in Verdigree. Well, I mean, we, we're having some cities. We're trying to build some cities up around Verdigree, but I think we could easily establish a small section of the world like the Sword Coast or something along yeah. that and have. But yeah, we do need to make a couple new cities as well. Yeah, we do. It'll happen. Oh, yeah. It'll happen. <laughs> in my copious spare time. Yes. <laughs> we just had a bunch. For, a certain, for a certain values of spare time. Yes. Yeah. Rabbit trails. Anyway. So yeah, those are some ideas that you can run with. I really like 
incorporating multiple aspects to a celebration. Yeah. I think another good one that's kind of a seasonal, it's not necessarily at a set time, reminds me of a short story I read when I was like, in, I think I was in fifth grade or fourth grade. And it was set, I can't remember if it was in China or Japan, but it was a certain time of year when the citrus came on the ships from the Americas. And so it was a big celebration because like things like oranges weren't among the regular crops and it was before globalization was a big thing. So whenever these ships came in and started unloading these cargo supplies, they were going to be there and just the types of stuff that came in was something to celebrate. So if you have a port town and there is a quarterly or bi-yearly or yearly merchant caravan or convoy that comes in either through wagon or through ship, when they arrive, that's going to be a huge thing because there's a bunch of new stuff coming in. Yeah, and that would give you a way to tailor the celebration to your location. Yes. Because, as you're saying, a harvest festival in a little hamlet out in the middle of nowhere is going to look very different to a harvest festival in a port city. Yes, absolutely. Because that harvest festival in the port city, they're not harvesting the crops in that city. What they're doing in that city is all of those crops are coming into town and getting put onto boats to go around the world. Right. And so it's going to take on a very different aspect because it's you're talking about the goods transferring through. Right. It is this increase of business it's this increase of traffic exactly and so you're going to have different sort of celebrations you're not going to have the we just finished doing a whole bunch of work let's cook a bunch of the food that we just harvested yeah you're going to have a we just busted our butts getting all of these crates onto this ship oh no there are three crates that didn't fit. Oops. And depending if stuff is coming or going, or especially if they are shipping stuff out and stuff's coming far away, there's going to be a relative influx of exotic goods or things yes. that aren't there all the time. Right. And so they are going to become prized. And this is also where you're going to end up having people from other cultures who are going to add their cultural twists onto yes. the celebrations. Yeah. So you're going to have, say... You know, you're getting these spices from this far off country. The people from that far off country who live in this town are going to pick up those spices and they're going to set up street stalls yeah. and they're going to start selling food that is reminiscent of their homeland. Yes. Because the spices are there for them to do that. This reminds me of, uh, I forget which book in the Wheel of Time it is, but Matt Cuthun, he's in, is it Cuthun? Cawthon? Cawthon. Cawthon, yeah. Can never pronounce the last names, but uh, he's going through. And for the first time, he gets to try a lemon and he was expecting it to be a sweet fruit. And it was the sour <laughs> fruit. And he was like, no, anything with lemon. He refused to touch anything with lemon after that. Right. Yeah. And as I was getting into, you know, adding multiple aspects to it, this harvest festival in this port town where it's just all of the goods passing through, you're going to end up having elements of, say, clerics of trickster gods yes. are going to be doing these little like Boston Tea Party type raids. Totally. You know, this is where you're going to have dock workers that are settling grudges against foremen. Yes. You know, thieves this, guilds everywhere. Thieves guilds everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um, in the crates, just open up thieves guild. <laughs> yeah. Hold guild in a box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You wouldn't download a thieves guild. <laughs> Not even once. Maybe uh, twice. <laughs> So that gives you a thing where you're going to be altering to fit your location. Yeah. You know, talking about my home world where, you know, the night whenever the moons don't shine. 
Mm-hmm. It's one night a year, and they have a big festival of lights. It's very similar to a Yule sort of okay. thing where, you know, that's the reason why there's lights on the Christmas tree is because you're bringing the tree in and you're putting on the lights to drive off the darkness. Yeah. Because you're doing this around the winter solstice, the shortest day, the longest night right. of the year. And so this would be a time when you would have your moon gods and your some of your more sinister gods or, you know, gods of the night, gods of darkness. That's when they would be having their celebrations. But you're also going to have celebrations that are vastly different for sun gods, gods of light, gods of harmony. You know, these sort of good aligned gods who are going to be having their celebrations and generating all of this light in the interest of driving off the darkness. Okay, you know, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Because this bothers me. So the night gods are always the sinister gods. But what if you live in a desert community? Maybe the sun god's the oppressive one. I'm not trying to <laughs> appoint, you yes. know, morality onto these gods. I'm just saying that, yeah. you know, when they're in their element, yeah. they're going to have celebrations. Absolutely. Whenever the opposite of their element is present, there are also going to be celebrations. celebrations. Yeah, because you want to support your gods or take advantage of your opposing god's weaknesses. Right. And, you know, by contrast, on the opposite end of the calendar, there's the night when both moons are full Mm -hmm. in the sky. And that's whenever the sun gods and stuff, they're going to have their big festival of lights because it's the longest day of the year and they're going to have light all night long because it gets almost as bright as day with these two moons reflecting down. Okay. But you're also going to have the gods of darkness, the gods of night, the gods of the moon, especially the gods of the moon because the the two moons are full and up in the sky and they're going to get all of that going on. But, you know, you're also going to have your trickster gods on the night whenever the moon's not out. You're going to have gods of thieves on the nights when moons aren't out. They're going to be incorporating elements of their worship with the night. And so these are the sorts of things that you want to keep in mind. How you can tie in the different elements that would make these resonate with your players right and i think the some of the classes that we have overlooked as far as like what they would celebrate i would see very easily with the grove celebrating the grove could also go in with your barbarian or again your more celestial kind of more i don't want to say primitive but your more down to earth or earthly kind of holidays would probably be really well for your barbarians your fighters are probably going to celebrate a martial holiday of various sorts yeah your sorcerers again that's probably going to lean more towards background but again if there's something celebrating a family line or a holiday or something along those lines just as your wizards are going to celebrate you know moments of study or maybe when something was discovered points of discovery yeah and that would be another instance where an occupational yeah holiday you know Have a magic festival. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going to have all of these different magicians showing up and they're going to have their different contests to see who can use their magic the best. You know, have a mage hand competition where you have to pick up this coin at the far end of this track and you have to maneuver your mage hand through the obstacle course without it dropping the coin. Okay. And whoever can complete the course in the fastest time is the winner. You know, these are great ways to have them utilize non-combat spells. Yes. I was also going to say, so we had the town where we had the impromptu battle of the bands. Yes. 
what if at the same time there is an impromptu gathering of sorcerers and wizards and so now they are also doing a light show with this as well because maybe it is a yearly or like something in the olympics that happens once every four years in the capital and so this town is situated to funnel as absolutely things come in and so now this is a once every four year celebration and everybody's showing and it could be a thing where you know whenever the people show up they have to go to these little outlying towns first yes and they have to compete in basically qualifiers qualifiers. oh i love it and so only like the top three bands that show up in this town get to move on in the competition okay and so now you're going to have a competition to get your spot You know, you have the opportunity of parties getting waylaid on their way between the outlying town and the capital and having their invitations stolen. Um, I'm going to switch it. They're not going to a capital, but it is a border town that rests like right at the junction of like four or five. Right. But yeah, but yeah, no, definitely a major, a major city or it doesn't even have to be a city. It can be something like Stonehenge where it's just this thing that exists people come that, to. that people go to specifically for, for this that. yes okay uh, so i guess like the hollywood bowl or wolf trap okay or burning man yeah you know it's this location where you go to it yeah and it's nothing until this event happens and then the event happens and then everyone goes home and it's nothing again i love it so that would be that would definitely be a thing. But I like where you're going with this whole incorporating other stuff. You can have it to where basically you're making a band, making yeah. a gig. And, you know, the other people are they're going to be the roadies. They're going to be the light crew. They're going to be, you know, security. They're going to be involved in all of the other aspects aside from the performance. Yeah. You know, you could have, you know, your cleric with thaumaturgy that's, you know, doing bass effects oh nice um you can have dancing lights to do a light show you can have color spray yeah color spray hallucinatory terrain oh yeah um mass charm person honestly why not yeah (laughs) you know you have somebody who is out there literally trying to rig the judges yeah and so then you have the other aspect of you have like the rogue with their high perception who is reading the crowd looking for the members of the other bands who are trying to influence things and it's their job to spot those and intercept oh i love that and i like this too because like a lot of those psychic spells you know like charm person or friends the person knows that a spell has been cast on them after which can be really kind of problematic but if you have something like this and you have a hypnotist as part of the thing hey i'm going to hypnotize you guys to add so they know this is going to happen right or they know that something is going to happen so they're going to be more likely to and then whatever happens happens and we're like oh it was just part of the act or it was part of the thing and it could be a thing where the judges are expecting to be charmed yes but because everyone is trying to charm them, they know that they've been charmed. Yeah. They don't know by whom. Yes, I love it. So it becomes then a battle of wills to see who can do the charming the best. best. Uh, that, is, that is beautiful. I love it. You no, know, because, say, Wizard A charms a judge, mm-hmm. and then Wizard B comes up, and they have to figure out how to override the first charm. charm. Uh, no, that's great. And then, it, I mean, that could be just a straight spell attack roll. Where you would add your your spell modifiers, or if you really want to build in that role play, have them okay. This wizard has done this, so how are you going to work around to subvert that and make them think at the table how they're going to do it? Because then you have 
not only you have the spellcasters who are trying to charm, this is where your marshals can come in because their job is to spot the other spellcasters in the crowd. Okay. And interrupt their concentration. Oh, no. Yeah. Their job is to break that character's concentration, break that caster's concentration so that you can charm the judge instead. I think we need to revisit our downtime thing. I think we have a new form of wizard's duel. <laughs> yeah. This sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, love this. I think we can make something out of this. Yeah. I think we've done a pretty good job yeah, today. Yeah. No, I, we've come up with some great ideas, some great story hooks for our, our listeners to try to run with. Again, some really good groundwork if they want to do some world building and build their own celebrations. And if they don't, they can grab anything off the shelf or off a of life and just... Again, throw in some of these ideas and run with it. Yeah, and, you know, draw from real-world holidays. Yeah. You know, there's no reason why you can't have the Easter Bunny running around in your D&D game. Yeah, absolutely not. And if you were going to have the celebration you're going to sneak this up on your players, then, you know, again, bring it up for a potluck and have celebratory foods. Have the celebration at the same time as the table to add to that atmosphere, too. Or, you know, have this be a thing that you bring up at the holiday, holiday. game. Yeah, So that would be something that you can incorporate. Yeah. All right. I think we are good for this episode. (laughs) If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com. Or I'm just going to ignore the Twitter at UCT Homebrew. Drop a message there because I haven't been over there much lately. Or if you want to really get in touch with us, come join our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. That is probably the fastest and easiest way for us to see whatever it is that you want to share with us we're also on facebook instagram tiktok youtube twitch mastodon and blue sky at undercommon taste on all of those so if you would like to come and follow us i'm trying to stay relevant on all of the social media platforms that's a lot of social media i don't always get to all of it right now i am focusing a lot on blue sky and tiktok That's where we seem to be getting the most traction. And so that's where I'm focusing my energy. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. That's where our write-ups go. That's where you can go to help support the show financially. We also have an itch store, uh, undercommontaste.itch.io, where you can find our liminal horror adventure beneath the lake and my solo RPG Forever Home. Still working on layout for our first D&D one-shot campaign which will also be up on the itch store once it's done and it will be free to all patrons excellent because that's what we do yes if this is your first time hearing us we're so glad you found us we hope you enjoyed the episode you can find our other podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast also if you want to you can join me uh soon i will be starting a playthrough through Baldur's gates one through three i will be on twitch and we will get a schedule for that out relatively soon yes we need to get him set up with the Undercommon Taste Twitch channel so that he can actually do that. Yes. So that will be twitch.tv slash Undercommon Taste once that starts going live. So thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Have a happy holiday. And we will see you again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash davidsutherland, or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks 
So stay safe, and we'll see you then.